listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Tiffany Manor. It is Mental Health Monday. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Saunders in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Tiffany, again, thanks for stepping in and uh, helping us with this Mental Health Monday series. While Sarah's out, I really appreciate you coming in as a guest co-host. Oh, yeah. I can't fill Sarah's shoes, but it's fun to be here with you. And so much to learn in this series, too. I'm just learning a ton with Dr. Saunders. Really excited to continue the conversation. Welcoming back Dr. Saunders. He's the Schneider Endowed Distinguished Professor of Psychology at Marquette University and author of Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today from Concordia Publishing House. Dr. Saunders, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Thank you. Glad to be with you again. As we continue our conversation here on Mental Health Monday, I want to make sure that we we understand and, and share this disclaimer that while Dr. Saunders is a professional clinical psychologist, it's always important to understand uh, the that that these these conversations are not are not treatment or therapy. It's important, as Dr. Saunders frequently gives advice to, as he recommends, to get professional help when you need it. So nothing said in today's conversation or in future episodes should be taken as therapy or treatment or a substitute for personal consultation with a professional. So let's continue our conversation about mental illness and mental health problems. How are, what are the statistics when it comes to mental illness and mental health problems? How are they, how are mental illnesses counted and reported? That's such an important question. The, the, you know, over the literally about five decades, we, we've, develop methods for determining, you know, the prevalence of mental illnesses. Everyone knows because of the pandemic, you know, that all, all of these epidemiological terms, such as prevalent, how many people have this certain illness. Epidemiology is the study, ology, the study of epidemics or illnesses in the population. So epidemiological studies are of prevalence. Also, incident, how many people are getting this illness, are, are new cases or prevalence of how many total cases. We used to rely on psychiatrists and psychoanalysts to tell us how many people had a mental illness. And a fairly famous study from, I think, the 1950s published said, psychiatrists in New York City estimate that 70% of persons have a mental illness. Well, that was New York City, so we might think, okay, that's probably true, but, uh, you know, but, but they're, but they were just basing it on their estimate. A little while later, we were at, you know, did some other studies and got the number down to somewhat more realistic 40%, but still, you know, researchers realize we can't really rely on these, these numbers. We can't just ask people. And these were, those were self-report asking people do you think you have a mental illness? They, about 40% said, well, I think so, or not me, but I know my sister of something like that. Then we, so in the 1980s, and um, it's, it's actually Daryl Regier, uh, LCMS uh, researcher, was one of the leading researchers in this area of study of epidemiology where essentially we took the diagnostic manual, the, the, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, and looked at the criteria we talked about last week that, that each mental illness, there are various mental illnesses and each of them has different criteria. 
schizophrenia, you have to have delusion and maybe hallucination, depression, bad mood, difficulty sleeping, low self-esteem, anxiety. You have trouble relaxing. You have stomach problems because your stomach is always churned up with anxiety. Different illnesses have different criteria. And those are actually listed in these books called the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. This is how methadone professionals like me determine whether someone has a mental illness. We ask them about their problem and we look in the DSM and we see, oh, this person meets criteria for depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, for example. So they took the criteria listed in these books and they created surveys or literally questionnaires. A survey is something where you do face-to-face. A questionnaire is something that people might fill out on their own. These are surveys. Then they went, they, they, they created surveys based on all of the mental illnesses. They had one survey covering all of them. And they went door to door to thousands of doors. They randomly selected people and went to their door and knocked on their door and said, hi, I'm from at the National Institutes of Health, and I'd like to do an interview with you about mental health problems, about mental illness and treatment, and can I come in? And it was about a two-hour survey, and they surveyed, in, in one study, they did uh, 8,000 persons around the country. A different survey, they did select cities, but, but the results were pretty, pretty similar. The, the results showed that in any given year, about one in five persons will experience a diagnosable mental illness. Some of them would get over, you know, so they don't, so at, at any one time, it's about one in six persons. One in six persons right now has a diagnosable mental illness. Some of them get better, others develop a mental illness over the course of a year. So in a given year, it's about one in five. These surveys also asked, has there ever been any point in your life where you were having this experience of depression or delusions or not liking your body shape or, you know, all of these different symptoms. And in a given lifetime, it's about four in 10 persons have a diagnosable, will experience a diagnosable mental illness. One in five in any given year, small church with a hundred people at 20 people. So, you know, back to last episode, last week when we talked, you know, the pastors are, they're busy. And if, you know, they, they simply don't have the capacity to help everyone in their church who has a mental illness. But it's, it's an astonishing number. Mental health problems, you don't quite meet criteria. We've never really done that study, but I would guess that it's another 20% of persons have something where, the, where they, they could really use some help. In, in other words, Tiffany, Andy, we, we want to think about mental health as being on a continuum. There are people who are really good mental wellness. They're, they're really mentally healthy. They think properly. They think happily. They're cheerful. They do things to make themselves feel good. On the other severe extreme are persons with really serious mental illness. And that's the other, the other end of the continuum. 
but there's a lot of space in between. So, so mental illness end of the continuum is about 20%, likely less than that, less severe illness. Well, I'd say it's another 20%. Again, it, uh, it's just a, a, a large number of people. So anyone listening, you know, feeling maybe as so many do feeling weird or odd or unusual for experiencing depression or for, for having gone through something that they're having trouble getting over. No, you're, you, you, as, 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 the, as we developed, you know, 30 years ago, there was, we had a project in association with the National Alliance for Mental Illness. And the project was entitled, You Are Not Alone. And that's what this was, the project was entirely about. You are not alone. In fact, you're, you're, it's pretty common what you're going to get help. I'm not saying don't get help. Rather, I'm saying, realize that there's, there's nothing really particularly unusual about you. The other part of that is we've seen so much of you. You know, I, I've seen so many persons with mental illness that my colleagues, we've gotten pretty good at treating it. So, so you're not alone. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Go get professional help because, because we know how to help. Yeah. So as you describe this, I'm thinking, wow, this is again, not unique, probably touches every single family. But I imagine for some families, there's probably some additional risk factors that, um, particularly for, you know, the diagnosable mental illnesses. Could you talk more about that? Sure. We have risk factors are the, you know, the term that epidemiologists use for saying that the particular person is at greater risk of developing this problem. People with obesity are at greater risk of developing type 2 diabetes. People who smoke and or drink are at greater risk of developing cancer. These are risk factors. So smoking is a risk factor. Obesity is a risk factor. We've identified risk factors for the mental illnesses. And one of them, of course, is biology, genetic, meaning if you have a family history, if your parents or siblings have mental illness, there's something biological going on in the genet in the genes of your family that, that make it more likely that a person in your family will develop mental illness. In particular, some illnesses should be thought of as almost entirely genetic, entirely something biological going on. These would be schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, autism spectrum disorders, cognitive impairment, which we used to call mental retardation. These are things that there's something about the brain that's not going well, that, that, that is, you know, not, not functioning. The, the, you know, those are simply risk factors. There's not much we can do about those. Other risk factors are more environmental or, if you would, psychological or something that people experience. People who go through very difficult situations are more likely to develop depression or anxiety. You know, it's just constant stress of not being able to find a job or struggling to put food on the family on the table for the family 
or worrying about how your kids are doing at school or child, your child is being bullied at school or, you know, your child is falling in with the wrong crowd. These are, these are risk factors. These stresses that sort of just go on and on and on can be risk factors. It's a risk factor for the development of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, the, the risk factor is right in the term. It's a trauma, a serious trauma or a series of, of traumas, maybe that aren't, you know, endangering, but are just highly unpleasant. Being in a motor vehicle accident and almost dying is a risk factor for PTSD, being in a combat. But especially if you're going to combat repeatedly, you know, soldiers who experience combat are at risk factor for, are at risk for developing PTSD. So it's both, you know, sometimes people will have, is mental illness, is it biological or is it something you're, is it something about what you go through? Is it psychological? And the answer is yes. Biological, it's it psychological, it's both. And by the way, you know, medications help people who develop depression because of what they've gone through. Talk therapy can help persons who are struggling with a biological illness, again, such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. There's a, there's a variety of risk factors out there for sure. It is Mental Health Monday here on The Coffee Hour. We're talking with Dr. Stephen Saunders of Marquette University and author of Martin Luther on Mental Health. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Tiffany Manor. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Tiffany Manor. It is Mental Health Monday here on The Coffee Hour. Our guest is Dr. Stephen Saunders. He's the Schneider Endowed Distinguished Professor of Psychology at Marquette University and author of Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today from Concordia Publishing House. We're talking about mental health problems and mental illness, taking a look at what are some of the, the statistics, how are those reported, and then what are the risk factors for mental illness as well. When it comes to youth or children and young adults, how what is unique or what is maybe different about mental health problems or mental illness when it comes to youth and young adults? Youth and young adults have different worlds than your adult. 
they go to school, hopefully anyway, they go to school. They're supposed to develop groups of friends, you know, largely from, from school. They are under the charge of parent, teacher, both. And so the, the, the definition of mental illness is that there's their variety of symptoms that either cause distress or impairment or both. So if we look at it, you know, what children are supposed to be doing, what their, you know, what their job is, so to speak, what their role is, well, their role is as a student and maybe, maybe they're on a sports team or they're on the chess club or the debate team. Hopefully they are, hopefully they're getting involved in things like this, but, but we, the, the particular mental illnesses for children, such as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or oppositional defiant disorder or the learning disorders, they interrupt with the child's ability to do well in school. So they, we really need to identify them and we need to help them. And there are ways that we can help children with these problems. They need special attention. These kids can't just sit in a seat in the row, one of the rows in the classroom and pay attention. They have attention deficit problem. That's it's right in the word, right in the phrase. Or they, you know, they, they're looking at the words on the sheet of paper, but they have dyslexia. They can't read the words the way that the kids surrounding them can read the words. So they just simply need additional help. The other half of that, so the, the other part of that, though, is that that children, again, because they rely on adults for their well-being, parents, teachers, other adults, that makes them, especially when they're younger, it makes them particularly vulnerable. If someone comes up to me and mistreats me, insults me, smacks me on the top of the head, I'm an adult. I'm not going to tolerate that. I might call the police or I might, you know, say something back or say to myself, well, you know, that person doesn't mean anything to me or, you know, they were in a bad mood and didn't mean it. But child who's mistreated, it, you, and, and we literally have this term called child abuse, a child who is mistreated can't necessarily get out of that situation, doesn't understand the situation. They don't know, as we as adults know, this is how adults are supposed to treat children. The child doesn't have that knowledge. If a child is always mistreated, then they think this is what adults do to children. This is normal. Again, children, by definition, they're smaller, they're less experienced, they don't have the education. They don't have the intelligence, literally, as adults do. They don't know necessarily whether they're being mistreated or not. So they, again, they're just by definition very vulnerable. And therefore, we have all sorts of rules, laws even, about we have to be careful. We have to take particular care with our young person, our children. As we get older, they're maybe less vulnerable, but even then, not not necessarily so. There's a lot of vulnerabilities even for OFM. Well, has that changed, I say, over the past you know, 
decade, 10, 11, 12, 13 years? And if so, how have the mental health problems um, changed? I think there's a, you know, first of all, they definitely have. Anyone who pays me attention to news knows that there is an increase in anxiety and depression among our, our, that goes all the way into young children, but it's especially noticeable, noticeable after about age 12. And it goes all the way through college and perhaps even beyond. And what that means is that those who are now 22 will, this problem that is causing these things, these situations that are causing these depression, anxiety has been around for a decade or more now. And I think it's so, and, and it just simply is the case. So, so there's one argument that you would hear, which is that children and their parents are just reporting it more. There's always been a lot of depression and anxiety. It's just that we're more comfortable talking about it. And therefore it's being reported more. That explains, though this argument goes, that explains why we're seeing this drastic, as in doubling, a drastic increase in the prevalence of depression and anxiety, in particular among adolescents. And, and, and just by the way, you know, taking this back to the earlier part of the conversation, you know, early studies, studies 20 years ago, it was that we see about the same rate of mental illness as we do in adults. It's one in five adults. It's about one in five adolescents. Maybe a little bit less for children, but it, it's a pretty consistent number, 20%. But now with teenagers, especially 12 through 22 year olds, it, it's just bloated. I think there's a couple of things that are going on. The one is less, you know, there's less evidence for, but I think a lot of it has to do with an increasing pressure on children. If you think about a child goes to school and what is it, every other month or once a semester, they are put in this high pressure situation where they are being tested to see how well their school is doing. A child is being held responsible for how well their school is going to be rated. You know, they would call the One Child Left Behind Act. The One Child Left Behind Act has led to this massive increase in formal testing of our children. And we see the result. Schools don't want to lose funding because that's what happens to schools that don't do well. They're threatened with a loss of funding. Well, what do we do? Because these kids aren't learning reading and writing well enough. Well, I guess we need to cut out art classes. We need to cut out our music class. We need to stop sending them outside to get fresh air, which, by the way, is really important for boys in particular. We need to stop recess so that they can spend more time studying so that our school does well. And we see that it's just, it's just pervasive. We've become a testing society. And associated with that is that if you're not doing well enough on the test, bad things are going to happen because you should be doing well enough on the test. And that's the, that's the flip side of this testing thing is you should be doing better. We're going to see how well you're doing and by golly, you're not doing well enough. It's just, I think that that's actually, there's some good evidence for that. But the best evidence, 
the biggest factor? Smartphones. You can actually document that the mental health problem increase began with the thumbs up button on Facebook, where suddenly, this, this is the story that I like, that's how I like put it. When I was, you know, 160 years ago, when I was in high school, <laughs> I could go home at 3 p.m. and take my shoes and socks off and lock down on the floor and take a nap and be lazy and basically get away from the very normal attention that you, that adolescents seek from and desire from their peers. Weekend, I might see peers, but I might not. I might choose not to. I, there, there was always a chance for adolescents to get away from not even social pressure, but just social attention. You know, part of adolescence and the normal task of adolescence is to go from being a child to being an adult. Being an adult means you're on your own. You're making your own friend. You are, you know, you're asking people out. You're perhaps marrying, starting your own family. You're, you know, the, and this is it's during adolescence that adolescents figure out who am I? Am I smart? Am I hardworking? Am I lovable? And so attention from their peers help them determine these things. And it's a lot of stress during that time. Some of us deal with it okay, some of us not so well. But all of us, 30 years ago, go home and now I can be a jerk to my parents because they're going to love me anyway. And I can, I can cry about something that happened today. I can't, I couldn't do that while it was happening at school, but I can do it now. Now we have these magical computers in our pocket and adolescents carry them all day, every day. And they are constantly 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year constantly in front of their peers and it is making them crazy full stop we'll talk a little bit more about that about the impact of technology and social media on youth and young adults maybe even older adults i fit in that category now <laughs> how how that technology and uh, social media has impacted us and our mental health as well our guest today, Dr. Stephen Saunders, the Schneider Endowed Distinguished Professor of Psychology at Marquette University and author of Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today from Concordia Publishing House. Dr. Saunders, thanks for being our guest today on The Coffee Hour. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Tiffany Manor. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.